All right, you recognize any of those travel songs? That was good. Good job putting that together this week. That's kind of fun. We were singing, hey, wouldn't that be fun? And we started naming some of these tunes off that you heard. So open your Bibles to Psalm 122, please. Psalms 120 to 134 are called the Psalms of Ascent. And Pastor Micah got us started in this new summer series last uh, week, but we are on a quest. I mean, we have places to go and people to see and things to do, and we're traveling together and uh, have some of these songs. So they have these, all these songs that they would sing when they would travel together. When I was five years old, we were living in Saginaw, Michigan, and my dad was a pastor, and my parents had this burning desire to go be missionaries in Africa. And one day, our parents uh, told us, we're going to New York. There is a mission board that we're going to talk to. They want to interview us about going to Africa. Well, I didn't know what a New York was, but anyway, they bundled all four kids into their dilapidated Falcon Ford, and off we went, set out for New York, 700 miles, and the car broke down often. And uh, we got to the turnpike in New Jersey, and when he stopped to pay the toll, it, it, it died. And so he's start trying to start it. Finally, it started up, and the toll taker said, I thought I want to go to Toyk. He said, excuse me? He said, I thought I want to go to Toyk. He says, what? I thought it wasn't going to work. So anyway, then we got to, um, finally got to New York, and right before the Lincoln Tunnel, our car died, just jammed up everything right at the beginning of the tunnel. People are yelling, they're upset, they're honking, uh, you know, they're in a hurry, they're impatient, they're result-oriented, they're New Yorkers after all, and um, here we are sitting in dead still traffic, and they're honking, and so the kids, we got kind of scared, we said, Dad, how come they're honking? He says, oh, they're just all so happy to see you, just wave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people go to New York as tourists. They, they go, they gawk, they snap, 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 and uh, then they move on. We were there as pilgrims. We were on a quest. We were looking for the mission board to say, yes, we'll approve you as our missionaries. So we stayed on the eighth floor of 164 West 74th Street, and it was not a luxury hotel. In fact, it wasn't a hotel at all. And uh, we were not in a hurry. We were on a journey finding the leading of the Lord. And the fact that our car broke down and that everybody except me got the measles and uh, that they made my dad do real work like paint the building, you know, and help the plumber just to see if he could do more than preach, you know, doing real work. You know, all those were extras. And after two weeks, we headed back to Saginaw. And then they got the news, um, yes, you've been approved to go as missionaries. And so they started to gather their support. You know, at different times, I've been a tourist. You probably have as well. You know, you go with this camera-toting group, and they're all wearing funny hats, and uh, they swarm out of a bus all over a particular attraction. They check it out. They hear the lecture. They use the bathroom. They find lunch. They definitely find some ice cream if they're on the tour with me, and then we move on. And, uh, you know, tourists are in a hurry. They're impatient for results and for information, and they only want to know the high points. But pilgrims... Pilgrims are on a journey. They're on a quest. They're going someplace that may change the rest of their life. And they're going with God. In fact, two years later when my parents said, we're going back to New York, and then we're getting on a plane to fly to Africa, I knew exactly what they were talking about. So I had the, uh, the, the uh, feeling inside that the psalmist had when he wrote this psalm. He heard he was going to be going to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord. Look at verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, he wasn't thinking about 
packing his suitcase, and he wasn't thinking about getting in the car, and he wasn't thinking about the travel and how long it would take to get there. And he, in fact, he wasn't even thinking about cleaning the house before he left. I don't know why that, my wife likes to do that. Get the whole house clean before you leave. If you're trying to leave, get the whole, so when you come back, everything's exactly right. And um, I guess it makes sense. It sure does on the back end when you arrive back home. But he wasn't thinking about any of those kinds of things, all the work. He was thinking about getting to see the friends that he hadn't seen for a while. It would be kind of like a reunion because they were all going to the same festival and they would get to be in God's house and to stand before God and to hear God's word and to, uh, to reconnect with people that you don't see every way, day and to hear a word from God and to get some guidance and some direction for their life. So he's excited not for the journey but for the joy of what they're going to have. He's, they're energized by the images that it stirs up in their mind, the memories, the imagination. They're skipping over all all the, the hard work and the costs and the danger and the possible setbacks and the hardships. Their eye is on the prize. Well, yours and mine is too, isn't it? I mean, you want to go to Hawaii? You got two tickets right here. Yeah, you go, yeah, let's go, right? We don't think about all the details that it would take. Jesus was the same way. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and today he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus had this joy that was set before him. It was a long ways out there. Between him and the joy was the being uh, born in the world and growing up here and talking to people who turned their back and being crucified on the cross and coming back from the dead and establishing the church and then returning to heaven. He had his eye, though, on the prize, not on the price. In fact, in Jude 24 and 25, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. How can Jesus do that? It's because he paid the price for your sin and for mine. He got us right with God. And Jesus has his eyes on the prize, not on the price. He's got this deep desire to seek and to save the lost and to bring them into a right relationship to God. It's the whole reason he came to earth and died on the cross was for you. You. You are his prize. He loves you. That's why we want to be the church of Jesus Christ in this place that invites people to walk with Jesus, not just be tourists. I know there's tourists among us. To be pilgrims. I met a lady after the first service. I greeted her. I said, uh, she indicated she'd been here. I, I said, so uh, how long have you been around here? She said, about two years as a tourist. I said, well, come on, join in. <laughs> you know, to, to do that, to help people walk the Jesus way in longer discussion, you've been around here, you know, and we saw the pictures that we determined we need to upgrade and if improve facilities so that we have spaces and places for people to gather and to meet and to talk and to read God's word and to study and to pray and to do that, to have those spaces and places we need to and we were and are willing to talk with our neighbors for hours and to debate with our city with the cash register ringing and to tear down buildings that have precious memories stored in them of significant things that have happened in our past and, and to, to move to all gather in this one place and to go into debt and to worship here all together and to wait patiently. Why do we go through all of that? Because our eye is on the prize. 
of getting to talk to people about Jesus, of having buildings that are tools that can be used for God's glory, the joy that lies beyond the challenges and price tags that we're paying right now. You know, the person who wrote this psalm, and it gives credit to David, might have been David, or maybe it's just somebody stuck his name on it. He seems to talk about the temple and the walls and this kind of thing that, that weren't there when he was alive. The temple was built after his life. So whether it was him or not, it is an eager pilgrim who wants to walk in Jerusalem just like John. You know, it's, it's somebody who wants to return to Jerusalem because he knows the joy of when he's there, of seeing Jerusalem. And if it, it's not just the, the ascent up to the city, it's the idea that we're lifting our eyes to God. We're thinking greater thoughts. We're, we're looking above and beyond ourselves. We're getting right with God. We're worshiping him. This is really about worship and about growing in relationships with God's people. Look at the psalmist, verse 2 says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, this city actually shows up the first time in the Bible in Genesis 10, right after the flood, that some of uh, Noah had three sons, and they got, each took their wife and went a different part in the world. And this is where the son named Ham went to this area of the world. And the city was named Jebus. And uh, Jebus was established on this hill. And at the time of Abraham, in around 2000, it was called uh, Salem. And the king of Salem was a guy named Melchizedek, who shows up later in the book of, of Hebrews as a type, uh, a, a, a forecast uh, of Christ. But God sent Abraham to this mountaintop just north of the city for his midterm exam. He sent him there to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. But Abraham believed God and acted out of obedience. And in the last nanosecond, God's angel said, wait, you've passed the test. And he did not have to sacrifice his son. 500 years later, God uses Moses to give the Israelites uh, who are coming out of slavery into freedom. He takes them to Mount Sinai and gives them the law, and then he gives them uh, the directions to build a uh, portable temple that's called the tabernacle, made out of animal skins. And he wanted a place to live among the people. And uh, so they have this portable house of worship, the tabernacle, where he could live with them. And then after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of their complaining, they crossed the Jordan River and they made the conquest of this area. And God said, go in and, and uh, possess all of it. Take every city uh, and capture every one. But they got to the city of Jebus and they thought, oh, it's too strong for us. And so they ran out of faith too soon. But they ended up living all the way around it. So when David was a boy in Bethlehem around the year 1000 B.C., this city of Jebus would have been up four or five miles away, filled with people who they would have considered enemies. And after David became king, he actually took his army and surrounded the city and was going to take it. And from the top of the wall, they were so confident in the city of Jebus that they yelled from the top of the wall, you will never get in here. Our blind and our lame could keep you out. And David took it on as a challenge. He looked at his army and he said, the first guy to get inside that city will be the general of the army, I suppose, and live. And the, the first one who did it was in a guy named Joab, and he became the general of David's army. And David renamed the city Jerusalem, and it became known also as the city of David. 
So Jerusalem became David's kingdom headquarters. He put his home there, the, his palace. He made Jerusalem the political capital. He set up the court uh, where cases would be tried and the law would be enacted. He also made it the spiritual headquarters. He went and he found that uh, the tent, the tabernacle, and he brought it to Jerusalem. He had his heart in the right place, but he didn't really follow God's word the first time. And so innocent people died. So the second time, he made it a big deal to be sure they followed God's word. He had 30,000 of his uh, soldiers out there to move this one box and this tent. And with great pomp and circumstance, they moved it to Jerusalem and set it up where people could can now say, this is where we're going to gather. This is when it says to gather three times a year. This is where we're going to do it. After David's life, Solomon built this magnificent temple to God on that spot. And God moved into the temple in Jerusalem just to prove the point. I love you. I want a relationship with you. Come and meet with me. See, there's no other city on earth where God said, build me a house and I will live there. It's not Rome. It's not New York. It's not Los Angeles. It's not Colorado Springs. Jerusalem is unique in that regard. It's the only city God said, build a house and I will live there. And if you follow me, I'll stay. So verse 3 says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. I, all through the Bible, Jerusalem is referred to as the holy city. In fact, Isaiah has this vision right near the beginning of Isaiah chapter 2 where he says, It will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains and be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. He will decide disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. You can tell some of this vision hasn't happened yet, can't you? Because we are not at the place of saying, you know what, we don't have to uh, make... Uh, uh, war machines anymore. In fact, we don't need to learn war anymore. Nobody's going to attack us. We're all going to work together. The world is not at that place. This is still prophetic. It hasn't happened yet. And then Isaiah concludes by saying, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Jerusalem is the place where the people of God were to gather to worship him, where they would meet. And that uh, Moses had given them in Deuteronomy commandment from God that three times a year all the males would appear before the Lord at a place that he would choose, which was Jerusalem, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover feast in the spring, at the Feast of Weeks, it's called Pentecost, it's in early summer, and at the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles where they would move outside and make temporary shelters to live in for a week to rem every year to remind them of what it was like uh, for the children of Israel to come out of Egypt uh, and uh, live in the wilderness for 40 years. And it says, They shall not come, they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. Every man shall give as he's able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he's given you. 
So if you're going to be true to God's word, you'd had to go to where God was three times a year to these feasts, bring a gift with you, bring your family, come together, worship God. You'd see some of the same people, of course, year after year at the, at the same place, at the same time. They would climb the road to Jerusalem, not just as tourists, but as pilgrims to worship God. So they're going up to Jerusalem. It's not just, not just uh, singing these songs, but also they're going up. The ascending is the living a life upwards to God, going from one level of spiritual maturity to the next. To be fully devoted follower of Jesus is an uphill climb. It's into the sun. It's against the wind. Why do you do it? For the prize. For the prize. For a relationship with God. For a relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's why we need each other, to help us persevere and to keep moving past the price tags and past the setbacks and past the things that would get in our way, the clutter of life, to, to get to the prize. In fact, Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Well, if you were to go on vacation three times a year for up to a week each time, you'd have to work your entire life around that, wouldn't you? You'd, I mean, you'd have to make sure that that's when you had vacation time and, and uh, that it was a priority to have that time off or it wouldn't happen. And yet just getting there isn't enough. The whole purpose is to worship God and to get right with God and to celebrate with other pilgrims and encourage one another in your walk with God. And so that's what was happening there in Jerusalem. I want us to look at kind of shift our paradigm a little. We've been looking at some of the history of Jerusalem. I want to look at Jerusalem from three different angles that are all in the Scripture. The number one that we've been talking about some is the earthly Jerusalem. See, this pilgrim experience was so normative that they turned it into this song. But here's what impressed him. Look at verse 5. Their thrones for judgment were set, the throne of the house of David. It's the, Jerusalem was the place where justice was meted out. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Now, according to the Scripture, there are two God-given functions of government. And the first one is dispensing justice. I mean, it's clear even all the way back to the, in their day that order was better than disorder, that laws were needed for guidelines for people to, to live, and that judges were needed to dispense uh, justice and settle disputes. And when the system is fair and judges dispense justice based on the truth and according to the law, then there is agreement, then there is peace. Now, the other God-given function of government is defending its citizens from violence, from without and from within. And when King David and all the other kings who followed him in Jerusalem listened to God's guidance, followed God's word, and gave just renderings, then there was peace in the land. When instead they were working from a selfish agenda or they disregarded God, then discord and, and uh, disaster were not far behind. And sadly, most of the kings who followed after David did not follow after God. So here David's son Solomon builds this magnificent temple. God moves in. Everybody celebrates and promises we are going to follow God's way. But then they wandered off the track. And about 400 years later, they had gone into sin so often in disregard of God that God allowed them to be captured and the temple to be destroyed in about 586-587 B.C. Seventy years later, he let a remnant, a portion, come back and to rebuild some of the temple, but it was not to its same magnificence. Then just before Christ, you had King Herod. 
who served under the Romans. And he was kind of bored running around in his little country of Israel, and he liked to build things. And uh, so he set out on numerous projects, including the temple in Jerusalem. They, uh, he even had to train some of the priests to be masons, but he also brought in 10,000 slaves who worked for 20 years cutting stone and setting foundation and moving stones into place and building walls and buildings and enlarging spaces and the project never quite got done. In fact, when Christ came on the scene and he arrived about the year that uh, Herod died, um, Jerusalem is dominated by the Romans, and there are corrupt Jewish leaders who are pretending to lead people in worship. And they've turned their uh, temple into a market where they can sell things at tourist prices to tourists uh, so they can use it for an offering. And that's what so angered Jesus that he actually went in with a whip and moved the animals out of the temple and turned over the money changers' tables. And they said, what authority do you have to do this? And he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. They thought he was talking about the temple he's standing in. He's actually talking about his body, that Jesus is the temple. This was even quoted at his trial. They said he said he would destroy this temple and he could raise it back in three days. Well, when he was at one of the feasts with his disciples, they marveled at the architecture, these huge stones. Some of Herod's stones are three feet thick and four feet high and over 20 feet long. One of them weighs over 406 tons and it's not on the bottom row. So they might have moved it, but they didn't move it very far. The disciples were actually marveling over all some of the Herodian stones, and Jesus said, listen, there's going to come a day when all these stones will tumble. There won't be one left upon another. Now, some of them were knocked down in 70 A.D., but some of them are still standing, and so most of this prophecy has been done, but not all of it yet. Later, when Jesus was arriving the last time the city of Jerusalem, he comes up over the Mount of Olives. He can see the city of Jerusalem in the distance. And it says, when he saw the city, he wept over it. He cried. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Today, Jerusalem is divided into four sections. There's no peace. But peace was the prayer of the people, of the pilgrims. Listen to their song. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Pray, peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That last verse is the results of being in God's house among God's people, listening to God's voice. That after you have spent time with God, you seek the good of those around you. See, look at the sequence here. Justice makes peace, which leads to security, even to leads to companionship, friendships between people. Spending time in God's house with God motivates us to seek the good of others. The earthly Jerusalem has never lived up to its name to be the city of peace. It has never lived up to its purpose, its calling. And when Jesus died on the cross, here you had the temple in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus dying just outside. Inside the temple is the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies that's separated by a huge curtain. Only the whole high priest would go in with a blood sacrifice once a year to meet with God. On the day that Jesus died, the, the curtain that separates that room from all the others was torn from the top to the bottom. Basically, God saying, I'm moving out. I'm moving out of living in one particular place. And he moved into the second Jerusalem that we're going to look at, which is the church. 
There was the earthly Jerusalem, but then there's the church Jerusalem. God had provided a place for them to meet. It wasn't enough. Now he said, I'm not going to live in a building made with human hands. I'm going to live in the human heart. I'm going to provide a holy place because God is there. I want to live in holy people. I want them to draw near to me and invite me in and ask me to forgive their sin and then have, be in a love relationship. That's where I'm going to live. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, and he got pretty excited about this. Read in verse 22. He says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God did something brand new in Jesus Christ that he had never done in the world before. Jesus opened a way for God and for people to covenant together by God's Holy Spirit in the human heart, not in some holy place, but holy people because of Jesus. Now, some people are here in the room today as tourists, checking it out, musing over the people and their beliefs and their customs, hearing the lecture and moving on. I don't know that we have any ice cream here today, um, but you probably could get the lunch some people, though, are here as pilgrims. They're reaching out to God. They're choosing to be in relationship with, with God, with Jesus, and other God-seeking pilgrims who pray for justice and peace and prosperity and security and companionship, which we had somebody who made a new psalm of ascent this week. W would you like to see it? Okay. Somebody sent this to me. Here we go. <laughs> Samara, can you just wave to all of us? She's right over here. She's our, our psalmist right here. <laughs> See, this is radical. When God's Spirit is poured out on people, not just on Jews, not just on one nation. God's Spirit is not just in one place. He's in human hearts all around the world. Church is made up of men and women, of people who are red, brown, yellow, black, and white. All are precious in His sight. In fact, it says that in Galatians 3, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's not male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ and you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I'll tell you about the promise in just a minute, but I can tell you that as we live the, the, the church Jerusalem here at South Shores, in fact, I'll tell, be telling people about it in the new members class this afternoon, and I would hope to see you here if you need it, but I'll give you a short version. Number one, we gather to worship in three worshiping congregations that have two distinct music styles every Sunday. And 
we meet during the school year in small groups or in Bible studies or in Sunday school classes here at church or in homes or in offices or in uh, restaurants every day of the week. So you could join into one of those. In fact, we're working on getting people into groups for this fall or people starting new groups. So if you can't find a group that you like, help me and I'll help you start the perfect group, okay? Um, you know, you and just whoever you pick. Uh, could be in it because we want people gathering to study God's word and pray and to lift each other up. I mean, your, your walk with Christ is personal, but it's not private. It's not private. It, 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 it's very personal, and it needs to start inside, but it doesn't just stay there. It's not private. So you don't cut yourself off from other pilgrims. You, you find people to connect with who can help you grow in your faith, and then you can be an encouragement as well. And then third, besides worship and a small group, is we invite people to serve Christ in some capacity. Use your gifts and your talents and abilities here at church or beyond out in the community to say, how do we touch people with the love of Christ? How do we encourage and lift them up? We are the church of Jesus Christ. We're intending to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we want to help you take a step to the right to be moving in that path. In fact, if you're taking any notes, write down. I'm going to give you three words that aren't in your notes that I want you to, to write down. These come right out of what is called the Great Commission. The last time Jesus had all the disciples together, he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, we're trying to capture that with three words, and I'm going to give them to you so you can start thinking about them. The first is reach. How do we reach out? How do we touch people? How do we go, as it says in that? Or really, the, the adverb there is as you are going, or because you go, or when you go. Make disciples. So we want people, we want to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Then to grow, the, the baptizing them, growing them up in their faith, to know more about God, but to be more in love with him and walking closer with him. And then the, the empowering part is the third. So reach, grow, and then empower. How do we empower people to use their giftedness? Not just here at church, but at home, at work, at school, at play, out in the community, intentionally saying, I'm going to use what I have as a witness to other people about Jesus Christ. We'll be back to some of that more, but reach, grow, and empower are three ways we say, here's how we go about being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the commission to the church. And we are in this church age, but there's a better Jerusalem still coming. It's the promise. So we keep ascending, pilgrims, because the best is yet to come. The new Jerusalem it talks about in the Bible is heaven. Heaven. It says in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. It's not made with human hands. It's designed, it's thought of by God, it's designed by God. It was in God's heart and God created it and prepared it for the people who have loved him to come and to live with him. In fact, in the next to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, here's what it says. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The bride of Christ, of course, is the church, people who have loved Jesus and have moved into relationship with him. And God is preparing their final home. And it goes on in that chapter, verse 22, to say, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has, remember Jesus said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. He is the temple in heaven. He is the place that we gather to worship. And the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of, the, of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is a real place. And we are part of the church, the Jerusalem here, but there's better yet ahead. There aren't going to be any tourists in heaven. They'll just be pilgrims. So come travel together with us. Let's sing these songs to Jesus. We are headed toward heaven. And until then, here at South Shores, we're going to do Psalm 122. I was so glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's gather with God's people. Let's invite him into our hearts and into our lives. Let's live for him each and every day. Let us worship him in the spirit of holiness. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. It's not just a song. It's a truth. And we need to get ready and encourage each other in that walk. You know, as we pray today, as we sing our last song, I'm going to come stand here in the front. If you'd say, I've just been a tourist, but I need to get right with God. I need to ask Jesus into my heart then you come and sp speak to me while we sing. And there will be people here who can talk with you and pray with you and give you some guidance. I'm inviting you. Come and walk with Jesus with us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being our Savior, for being our God, for being the Lord, for being that temple, the light that's going to light heaven. You are awesome. You are majestic. You're so far beyond us, and yet you love us, and you died for us, and you invite us to live with you to live in our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and be our Savior and our God. We're so glad when we heard you say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord. So come alive in us, we pray. May we truly represent you well and hear you say, well done. Amen.